you uh, have your Bibles, grab those. John 3.16 is where we'll be. John 3.16. Um, and real quick before we get started, two things. One, um, uh, May 16th, uh, we're going to get our college and career uh, class group uh, back up and going. So uh, May 16th, mark that if uh, college and career age. Uh, we're going to have breakfast for you here, 9 a.m., uh, that morning, it's a Sunday morning, uh, we've got some stuff planned through the summer, um, some things that we're working on, been praying through, and so uh, we're excited to uh, get that kind of kicked back up May 16th. Um, something else that I want to do real, real fast is this. Um, uh, William Coop, uh, who is a member here, is uh, preaching at one of his buddies' churches this morning. Um, if you don't know William, I would encourage you to do that, uh, but he is the gentleman that helps me preach on Sundays, you know what I'm saying? Like, amen, preach, preach it. I mean, he... Ah, and so, um, so I want us to just take a moment before we get started, and I want us to pray for him. I mean, that's, that's awesome uh, that his friend has entrusted him to come and proclaim the gospel uh, there for them. So I'm going to ask you if you just join me. William Coop's his name. You can pray for him as I pray for him. Father, I just want to uh, pray this morning as we get to start off our service. Uh, God, knowing our, our good, good friend William, who is a member here, is out proclaiming and filling in in a pulpit at a church to tell people of the great love of your son. And so, Father, I just pray again this morning that you would use him in a mighty way to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim your truth. God, hide him behind that cross. God, give him words. Father, I, I want to pray the same thing as I do for this place, Lord, that you would uh, rescue those who are in sin. Father, that you would save the lost and that you would move in a mighty, mighty way. And God, uh, allow him to be your mouthpiece to proclaim whatever it is that you would want to be said. Father, use him in a mighty way. God, bless that church. God, uh, just move and speak like only you can. So then we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, John 3, 16 is where we're going to be. Um, we're just going to continue to look at what I would say is the most well-known uh, verse in the Bible, probably the verse that is uh, quoted more than anything. It's, it's one of those things of uh, if, if you have to quote a verse, and if, if you're allowed to use this verse, because like sometimes they'll put like parameters on it, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, uh, you've got to quote a verse, but you can't use John 3.16. Then we always go to the Jesus wept verse, uh, because that's the easy one we know it too. Uh, but if not, I believe our default is always John 3.16, right? Because it's just one of those verses that, that, that is just so, uh, just encapsulate the whole heart of Scripture, it encapsulates the heart, our heart of the heart of our God, and so it's just, just I mean, just such, just a, a great, great verse with so much meaning, so much depth to it, more than just a a, a kid's verse that you just memorize and kind of uh, go on. But there's there's so much to it, and so what I've wanted to do is just take the next few weeks and just continue just to kind of break it down. Look at the words in that beautiful scripture. And then as Eric said, we're going to continue after that because I think we sell ourselves short when we just stop at 16. Because 17, 18 on is just such a beautiful picture of the heart of our God. And we're so quick to just kind of stop here and I think that we just shortchange ourselves when we do that. And so my hope for us this morning is this, is that the Holy Spirit will just awaken in the hearts of people, if there's someone here that doesn't know them, him as Lord and Savior, that he'll just awaken them to the reality of the beautiful truth in this verse. And maybe for those of us here in this room, that this, this will shape and mold us all the more into the image of the Son. And so we're just, like I said, just going to take our time and walk through these, these verses. Last week, what we looked at was the very first three words, really. God so loved world. That's where we were at last week. When we looked at God, we looked at him as, as the creator. We looked at him as a sustainer. We looked at him as, as sovereign, meaning that he's in control of all things at all times, that there's nothing that frustrates him or aggravates him or, or throws him off. 
We talked about how he was merciful, how he was uh, holy. Holy means to be uh, set apart, means to be blameless, perfect. That that's a picture of our God, that he's omniscient. So he's all-knowing. He knows everything at all times. Uh, Again, never frustrated about something. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Uh, Another attribute that we looked at, that he is uh, unchangeable, that, that our God doesn't change. And thank God for that. I mean, as standards and rules and and laws and different things change every day in our culture and our world, uh, God's not like that. He has put out his truth and his truth is his truth and his standard is his standard. And and it doesn't move, it doesn't shift, it doesn't, uh, he doesn't need an eraser. He is unchanging, unswerving. We talked about how he is gracious, how he is loving, how he is kind, how he is good. And I read a quote, I read a quote from A.W. Tozer, this great theologian says this, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So so when we sing these songs, when we spend time praying, when we open up his word, what comes to your mind, what is stirred in your heart when we talk about God, when we look at God, when we think about God? He says, that would be the most important thing about you. That would be the most important thing about us. And so then we move from God to so loved, and we looked at this word love, and this word love, I believe, is a word that's kind of been hijacked in our culture. It's been hijacked in our world. Um, it, it means everything, and so really what that means, it means nothing. It's something that's overused. It's something that we just throw out there, but when, when God uses words, God is intentional, and he has purpose, and, and it means what it means. Like his words in the scripture, they mean what they mean, and, and they carry weight behind them. And so when he says it's so loved, it's this Greek word agape, and it's, it's, it's impossible to fully articulate or define this kind of love that's used here. This is God's voluntary love that he, of his own free and uninfluenced choice, he gives, he bestows. This kind of love gives freely and spontaneously for the benefit of another. Even if that person that the love's being shown to is not worthy of such an act. So it's not based upon the merit of the person. I mean, I mean, how often, we don't love that way. How often do we show that kind of love? That I'm just going to choose to bestow love upon you. That I'm just going to choose to be committed to you. That I'm going to choose to go all in regardless of what I get from you. Regardless of what you do for me. Regardless of what happens. That, that, that I'm going to lay down my life to the fact to serve you, to care for you, to walk with you, uh, to, to be for you. And that's the kind of love that we're talking about here. One that's going to go the distance. That's not going to check out when times get hard. That's going to be fully committed regardless. In church last week, I I challenged us. That's the kind of love that we as the body of Christ needs to be showing. That we're called to live out. That we're called to, to, to put on display for this world to see. And so one of the things that God had put on our heart here is that we want to love our community better. We want to serve our community well. We want to be the hands and feet of our Jesus. We want to show this community what that means and what that looks like. And so I just want to show you a quick video. We had the opportunity uh, to, to host a block party. And this is just a quick little snippet of what we got to do.
mean, so that's just a little snippet of what we got to do yesterday is we got to serve our community next door. And we just wanted to get to know our neighbors. Uh, we wanted to just be good neighbors and say, hey, and just cook hot dogs for everybody and just loving everybody. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but we've got like the best snow cone maker in Spartanburg County uh, at this church. You're welcome. Um, and, and then the grill masters over here who lead us in worship as well. I mean, we just had, we had a great time yesterday. Uh, and that team that put it together and came out and served and I mean, just did a phenomenal job. I mean, we got to meet kids. We got to meet uh, our neighbors. We got to love on our community. And, and that's what Christ has called us to do. Uh, that's just, we didn't, we didn't want anything out of it. I don't, I don't care if they come to our church or not. We just want to be good neighbors. We, we just want to let them know we're here and that we love them and if we can ever do anything. Uh, just that's how we do it. No, no strings attached, no, no motives there. We just, we just want to get to know them and, 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 and share the gospel and see what God does. And for us, showing this love this, this past weekend, that's just the start. I mean, I'm working with this team and they're putting together some things and we've got some stuff in the, in the work where we can get outside the walls of this church. Because it says, for God so loved what? The world. Not for, for so love the church or the people inside the, but no, no, we're to go show that kind of love to this world. And so we're going to do everything we can to do that. And when he says world there, it's just sinful, fallen, unregenerate mankind. And so that's what we looked at last week to set up where we're going to be this week as we continue through this verse. And, and today, just, just two things that we'll get to cover, two, two things that we'll get to look at is the first thing is this, is that God gave, and then what does he give? His only son. That God gave and that he gave his only son. And again, this is a verse just in response to a conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee man named Nicodemus. And Jesus tells him that he must be born again. And Nicodemus gets confused by that. He goes physical when Jesus was talking spiritual. And he just kind of gets, gets real confused and off. And then Jesus calls him out and says, how can you be being a teacher not get this and understand this? And then he goes to John 3, 16, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Those two words, God gave his only Son. Would you, would you join me as we pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we need you. God, help us get this. Father, help us. God, help this wrap around our hearts. Help this wrap around every ounce of our being the reality of what you've done and what you've accomplished. God, this love that has been shown, that has been given, Father God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would move. God, God may it be so contagious that we, we can't just keep it here, that we, we have to take it to our world. So, so God, whatever we have set next after this, God, that we would show that love, that we'd live out this love. Father, this week as we go to work, Father, this week as we go and we play, God, this week as we uh, go and we take our t kids to games, to different things. Father God, I just pray that this love would grip us, the reality of, of what you have spoken and what you have done. God, God, one of the greatest known verses of all the scriptures. Father, that it would be more than a verse to us. It would be a lifestyle, a way we live. Father, help us. We need you. And we pray. Amen. Amen. So right out of the gate, the thing that we talked about last week, for God so loved the world. And so uh, this love that we talked about last week, it, it does something. Uh, there's an action that's connected to it. There's a commitment that goes along with it. This, this is a love that goes after and gives. Uh, this love, what it does is it looks at the cost and regardless of the price, it says that I'm in. I, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do something. And, and look at what this love causes God to do. Look at his response, his action to this love. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave. 
So because of his love for the world, he's going to give something to the world. He's going to, he's going to bestow and, and offer something to the world. And church, we need to be the same way. We need to live in that love, walk out that love. We need to show the same kind of love. So because of that love, what happens is God moves toward. God moves toward who? The unlovely. The unlovable. That's who he moves toward. And so it causes him to go after and to make an offer that's quite, quite incredible. The offer that he is going to give of that love is quite incredible. But before we talk about what he is going to offer, what he's going to give, I, I think we just need to do some work here because we live in a day and a time uh, where I think we're off on some things. Uh, where, where there's this, this, this wrong belief. I, I just want to say this. We're not deists. Like, you get that, right? We are not deist. And deism says this, that, that God is there, yeah, that he, he did this, that he's real, yes, and that he created, but then he steps back and he lets things unfold however they need to unfold. With no influence, with no uh, 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 moving back and forth or doing anything, no interaction. It, it's almost like you and I today, we would pull up on the TV and we'd watch the game. And we don't know how that thing's going to end. We don't know which team's going to win. We don't know who's going to come out on top. We don't know. It's almost as if deism believes that. Okay, there's a game. There's a God that's created the game, but that God has stepped back, and he's just now watching things unfold, watching things transpire and happen. And I'm just here to tell you that that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And I believe that this verse points to that all the more. It shows that. His love for the world causes him to step in and make an offer, and it's a heck of an offer. A heck of an offer. And I just want to show you throughout the scriptures how it's one of those things that, that God doesn't just create, okay, they mess it up, now I'm out. Let them figure it out. That's not the case. Genesis 3.8 says this. And when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what's happened is Adam and Eve sinned. They took of the fruit that God told them not to take. They've ate of the tree. And sin has now entered the world. Everything is fractured. Everything is messed up as a result of that. And what do they hear? They hear God walking. They hear God pursuing. They hear God coming along. And what do they do? Man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then look, look, look again. Here, listen, just listen to verse 9. As God pursues yet again, but the Lord God called to the man. See, God would have been justified in that moment when they sinned to just be do away with mankind, humankind. What, what the heck am I thinking? What am I doing? Why in the world? They rebel. I, I offer them this. I give them this. I say, one commandment. That was it. That one rule. I mean, you go to work tomorrow and there's more than one rule. You, you have a family in your house, there's more than one rule. God sets it up for us easy. One rule. Don't do this, period. That's it. And we can't even do it. We can't even get it. And so what does God do? He pursues even in the midst of that, that rebellion. God called to man and said to him, where are you? All the while, God knew where they were at. This wasn't a dang, they're playing hide and seek and they're beating me. That, that's not what this is. God was, was calling out to them. He says, where are you? And, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Okay, this, this is a new emotion that's been felt here. This has never been there before. Fear? F fear, what is that? It's a result of sin. That's a result of fracture. This is why he was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And then look at God's response. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then we have what we know as the blame game, right? 
Adam's like, well, that woman you give me, God, I mean, honestly. And we still play that game, don't we? Well, that woman, good God, that woman. Uh. And then what happens? Well, the woman, then she blames somebody else. The serpent, and then, and so, so we just kind of have that blame game, that, that, that domino effect that takes place there in the story. We, we, we know it to be there. And it's still the same, same thing that we play today, the same game that we're a part of today. We, we never take responsibility for, for our sin, for our rebellion. Uh, we, that, that never happens. And what happens? God still moves toward, don't he? Uh, he still comes after even in spite of. And we're no different. We look at this story and we, we hammer Adam and Eve thinking, my gosh, what were they doing? Knowing that we're no different, that we still struggle, same stuff, same stuff. And then, then I love verse 21, and this is what it says there in Genesis 3, 21. It says, and the Lord God made. What does he do? He steps in again, he pursues again. This is not him just setting back, thinking, well, they'll figure it out. It's on them now. No, 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 this is God pursuing yet again. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Why? Because they were naked. They needed to be clothed. They're in a pitiful position in a place. And what does God do? God steps in. He, he sacrifices and he makes for them. Again, foreshadow of what's to come. A foreshadow of what we're going to see in his son Jesus. Same thing happens. So, so let's talk a minute about this God of ours who gives. For God so loved the world that what he gives, how he pursues, how he comes after I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, it's, it's filled with God pursuing his people, God coming after his people, God making a way of, of rescue and redemption. And if you were here with us a few years ago when we walked through the book of Exodus, you see that in the book of Exodus. You've got God's children who are held captive by the Egyptians. And what do they do? They cry out to God. And what happens? God hears and steps in. God intervenes. God always hears the cries of his people. And he steps in and he intervenes. And he rescues I mean, just a few weeks ago as we looked at the woman at the well, this Samaritan town that Jesus walks through, Samaria, and he comes to the well in the middle of the day when the outcast was there, and he engages in conversation. Intentional is our God. Why? Because he was going to rescue and redeem, and he does that. I mean, there's story after story after story in the scriptures of our God coming to of our God approaching, of our God stepping in and coming after. And hear me, church, that's what love does. That's what love does. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's a cost to it. And the cost is substantial. The cost is amazing. And God weighs the cost and he steps in. That's what he does. So what does God give? He gives the greatest gift of all time. He gives the greatest gift of all time. I mean, I, I don't know when your best Christmas was. And I can think of it as a kid. I mean, we've, we've, oh, we, had, we had some Christmases. I, I don't know maybe when your best birthday was and you got all that you ever asked for or a, a bunch of the stuff that you just thought you couldn't live without that you don't even know where it's at today. I, 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 don't, I don't know, know what that looks like for you, but, but, but this gift that was given is so much greater than our best birthday. So much better than the best Christmas or anniversary. Because this is what our God gives. What his only son. God gives his son. God gives us the gift of Jesus. And it may not seem like much. But it's the best heaven had to offer. 
God gives his son. See the son here. This is Jesus, the son of God, because he's always existed. That's who he's given. He's given Jesus, his son, who's always been there without beginning. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature is what the book of Hebrews teaches us. See, Jesus is fully God. So God gives himself. That's what God gives. John 1, 1 says this. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So here we're introduced to the word. And we're told three things about him here. We're told three things about the word. One is this, is that he is God. The word is God. The second thing that we're told is that that he is with God. Therefore, he'll be distinct from God. He is God, but he is distinct. The word was with God. And the third thing that we're told here is that he was therefore always in existence and never came to be. In the beginning was the word. The word was there. He was there in the beginning And then we get to that beautiful verse in verse 14 of John 1. And it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Who? The glory of God. The glory is only of the Son from the Father. That's the glory. We, that's who God is. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. He was human all the way down, born of a human mother. He was swaddled as a frail infant, exposed to danger in this fallen world. He grew in strength and wisdom and stature is what the scriptures teach. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He ate, he drank, he slept, he grew tired is what the scriptures teach. He became thirsty, became hungry. He was physically weak and he died, but he rose again. Defeated death, rose again with a truly human, not glorified body. And so when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we mean that he is the same nature as God. That's who God gives. God gives us himself. God gives us Jesus. And he gives us the greatest gift to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. C.S. Lewis, he says this, this theologian, he says, when you begat, you begat something of the same kind as yourself. A man begats human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets eggs, which turn into little birds. But when you make or create, you make something of a different kind from yourself. See, a bird makes a nest, a beaver builds a dam, a man makes a wireless set or a computer. And so when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, We mean that God has begotten his son in his very same divine nature, nothing less from all eternity. Always been, always, always has been, always will be. And so what happens is your begetting is a metaphor, it's a picture. And it tries to hold these two truths together. The first one being this, that God the Father is not God the Son. And God the Son is not God the Father. They are distinct persons, distinct centers of consciousness. They can relate to each other. But the second, the Father and the Son are one God. Not two gods. One essence. One divine nature from all eternity without any beginning. The Father has always, the Father has always had a perfect image of himself. And a divine reflection or radiance equal to himself Namely, the Son. That's who we're talking about here when we see that God gave Jesus. God gave his only Son. And it's not one of those things where he had to create or he had to make. Jesus has always been. Jesus has 
always been and he takes on flesh and blood and he comes to be for us what we can't be for ourselves. That's what's so amazing about this little verse here that we just memorize and, and throw off and go to the next. Or, or we just so flippantly throw out there when memorization verse comes. We, we forget the weight of these words that God puts on flesh and blood and he comes for us. He comes for us. See, see, this means that God has a unique love for his son. I just want to talk about that for a moment. See, in the book of Colossians, Paul describes Jesus as the son of God's love. He's implying that the love for his divine son is utterly unique from the love of God. All that he has for his human children that, that we enter into by adoption. See, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And what we see in the scriptures is two times in his earthly life, if Jesus' earthly life, once at Jesus' baptism and once at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father, he breaks in and he says something about his son. He says, this is my beloved son. God has a love for Jesus. Ephesians 1.6 says this, that Jesus is simply called God's loved one. God has a special love for his son, unmatched by anything else. So when we call Jesus the Son of God, we should have in our minds that truth that he is God and there is a relationship there that is uh, so infinite that this love is there between God the Father and God the Son and it is different from all other loves. So church, what that means is this, is that we've got to do something with Jesus. When we look at the reality of this gift that was given, We've got to do something with him. See, Jesus is not just some good guy, some good prophet, some good teacher, some moral guy that busts onto the scene and does some things. Either he is the son of God or he's not. And my question for us this morning is how do we respond to that? How do we live out that reality? How do we live out that truth? So every time we say this verse, or every time we think of this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who is his son? Because that changes everything for us. Absolutely everything for us. We have to do something with Jesus. We can't just hoard him up to ourselves. We've got to give him. We've got to share him. We've got to make him known. We've got to live him out. We've got to take him to this world that's in desperate need of, of an answer of hope. And so for those of us who have entered into a relationship with God through Jesus by faith, we've come to that place where we've seen Jesus for who he is. That he is the living son of God. That he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the Redeemer, that he is the spotless Lamb of God. That he has come to be the sacrifice that we could never ever offer, never ever make, never ever do. That's who Jesus is. That's who God gives God gives his son. God gives himself. And so what happens is this, is that God's love for the world causes him to give. I mean, think about that for a second. As I made mention last week of the world and what that means and what that looks like for us and what that entails about us, that God has a love for the busted up, broken down, no good. 
a commitment and all in. And he, he seals that commitment, how? With his son. With Jesus. I've got three little boys of my own. And I couldn't give them up for anybody. I mean, no one, especially not me. Like, I know me. Like, I don't know you fully, thank God, right? And thank God you don't know me fully. Uh, like, thank the Lord for that. Uh, but but I, I wouldn't, I, all right, bud, go die for dad. I'm not worthy of that. I would never do that to my kids. I mean, that's horrible parenting, horrible fathering. But God's so committed and God cares so much for the broken, the busted up, the no good that he sends, he sends his son. And his son lays down his life as the ultimate sacrifice. That puts love in a different place, does it not? Uh, I mean, think, we just, we just sang about it a few minutes ago that God is for us. I mean, how much more do we need to know other than the fact that he, he, he sends his son to die for us? Uh, I mean, he, he clothes him in flesh and blood. He puts on flesh and, and he goes and he lives a perfect, sinless life. Why? Well, so that he can make a way. So that he can make, that, that's, that's what that love looks like. So much so that he gives his son the greatest gift this world has ever known. And so what happens is this, is that God has provided his son as a great substitution. He substitutes. He's a blessed exchange according to which Jesus can stand in and for us with God offering his perfect righteousness in a place of our failure, in a place of our mess ups, his own life's blood in place of ours. And so when we receive the mercy God offers us in Christ by faith, his perfection is imputed to us. That's what we get. It's credit to us. Our sinful failures are imputed or credited to him. That's the great exchange. I enter in through faith. I see Jesus for who he is, the son of God, perfect lamb, takes away the sin of the world, dies a criminal's death, a horrific death, defeats death, raises three days later. I enter into that relationship through faith. And then as a result of that, I get everything. I get everything that God has to offer. I am looked at as holy and righteous in the eyes of God. Church, if we would just understand that, who we are in Christ, what we get in Jesus, in Jesus' undeserved death pays for our sin. Undeserved death pays for our sin. And God demands for us to be perfectly righteous. That is satisfied by the imputation or crediting of Jesus' perfect righteousness to us. That's what we get. Jesus takes the wrath. We get righteousness. We get the holiness of God. That's what we get. That's the great exchange. That's what Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to understand. Nicodemus, for God so loves the world. God, my dad, loves the world so much so that he sent me here. And I'm on rescue mission. I'm on rescue mission for people that don't deserve it, for people that won't want it, for people that's going to spit in my face, pluck out my beard, it's going to nail me to a... I am on a rescue mission for the world. And they don't even know it. They don't even see it. Church, that's us. That's what we get. He so loves the world that he gave his only son. So as the bank comes back up, the giving of his son is the only hope that this world has. 
That's it. It's the only hope of, that we have of being made right before God. Not our acts, not our deeds, not our giving, not giving, serving, doing. It's, it's relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's all that can make us right. So my question for you this morning is this. Have you been made right in the Son? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with him? What have you done with him? Who is he in your life? How often do you think about him? How often do you talk to him? How often do you spend time with him? I mean, think of what he has given for us. And we just kind of meet with him when it's convenient for us. If we're not too busy, or if it doesn't require too much, or if it doesn't ask too much, or if it fits into my schedule. Do we understand who he is and what he's done? Who is Jesus to you? Because the way you answer that question isn't with your lips, but it's with a life of faith and obedience. It's with a life of surrender. You really want to know who Jesus is to you? Who have you told about him this week? Who have you made known about Jesus and what he's done? If you really want to answer that question, that, that's a great starting place. How has your time in the Word been? How has your time praying been? How has your time serving been? If you really want to know what you think of Jesus or how you answer that question, let's look at some of those areas. What that looks like, what that means. Because that speaks much more volumes than standing up and saying, yeah, I love him, I believe in him, and walking away and not doing anything with it. Not telling anybody, not living out a life of obedience and faith. Giving of yourself. Let's pray. Father, God, just the reality of that question, I pray, hits us. God, I know me this week as I've looked at that, as I've wrestled with that reality of who you are and who you are in my life. And God, I would, I would like to answer and say, just like everyone else would. But God, understanding and knowing that I'm nowhere near where I need to be. I still thank you so much that you move toward, even in the midst of disobedience, rejection. God, that you came after us and the way that you did that was sending your son. Father, I pray that this would be more than just a little verse that we memorize or we teach our kids or we've got on a t-shirt. Father God, I pray that this would be a verse that grips us. That we would feel the weight of who you really are. God, of what that love really means and looks like and God, that gift that was really given of your son. And God, that we would respond in such a way. Oh God, that we would respond in a way that brings you glory and honor that shows, Father God, that we are yours and that we would answer that question in a way that glorifies you. God, do a work in this place, I pray. And we pray. Amen.